my special chorus one. Okay, good evening, everybody. Um, <clears throat> uh, afternoon uh, in Israel and around the world. Uh, today's year, we will be continuing the laws of Hilchot Nida. We'll be focusing on the introduction to the category called Katanim, Katamim, um, uh, or known in English as stains. And these, as we'll see, are one of the most prolific shilas that we have in Hilchot Nida. Um, so let me give a brief introduction, what is considered a stain and why it differs from seeing blood that we spoke about a few weeks ago. From the Torah, a woman is only impure if she sees blood from the makor, from her womb, together with a hargasha, together with a feeling of the blood leaving her, her body. We were trying. We discussed what are the, the what is the definition of that feeling, uh, and we brought different opinions. But without a hargasha, without a feeling, uh, even if a woman sees blood, she will not be impure min torah from the Torah. What is what happens if she finds blood on her clothes, but she had no feeling? We just said that without any feeling, she's not impure meet the orita. However, chachamim. Gazru, the Chachamim instituted that that woman would be impure midrabanan. We view her as a nida, or more correctly, as a zava. And based on that, you'd have to go through the purification process. Um, now, there are different understandings uh, amongst the Rishonim why Chazal, why the rabbis instituted the Gzeira of Katamim, this decree that if a woman sees blood, even though she didn't feel blood, she will uh, be impure. And as we'll see, everyone agrees that they might disagree for the reason behind the decree, but everyone agrees it's a rabbinic decree. And because it's a rabbinic decree, there are going to be many leniencies that we find in halachot of Katamim, of stains that we don't find if a woman would see together with a hargasha from her womb. So let's begin. And our Gemara, the, our first source is the Gemara in Nida Nunchet. The Gemara says as follows, A woman came and asked Rabbi Akiva Shaila, Amralo Raiti Ketem. I saw a stain, Amarla Shema Makahayata Bech. Perhaps you had a wound on uh, your body and the wound caused blood. So the blood that you're seeing is not coming from your womb. It's came from another part of your body. And the woman says, yes, that's true. I did have a wound, but the wound has already healed. And therefore, you know, it's got a scab. It's not, there's no blood oozing. And therefore, uh, I should assume that it's coming from, from where, you know, blood's coming from. And, and, and that would be the wound. Perhaps it could reopen and uh, cause bleeding. She said, well, that is true. And Rabbi Akiva said she is permitted. Rabbi Akiva saw all of these Talmidim saying, what's going on with our Rebbe? Why is it so difficult in your, in your eyes? 
שלא אמרו חכמים מהדבר להחמיר אלא להקל, והחכמים didn't say this to be מחמיר, they said it to be מקל, the entire gzeira of כתמים is a gzeira we'll see in general to, for, because of the Torah violation, but the nature of the gzeira is a drabanan and therefore we can be lenient. שנאמר וישת תהיה זבה, דם יהיה זובה בבשרה, says דם ולא כתם, the Torah specifies it has to be blood, and he's talking about blood as being with a hargasha, with a, a sensation. Here there was no sensation, and therefore this is considered a stain, and as Rabbi Kiva points out, Chachamim Gazru, it's a Gzeira Midrabanan, but one can be Mekel Rashi, clarifies this on this Gemara. He says as follows, Hide the Gazra Banan Bektamim, when the rabbis instituted the gzeira of stains that it impurifies women's, lachmir al Torah, they instituted to protect the Torah violations. Shelola kel benidag that people don't come to err when it comes to a, 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 a proper nida from the Torah. Umihu, however, once the gzeira was made. It has got the ramifications and the definitions of a rabbinic decree. And therefore, as linan bahen lekula, we can be lenient regarding them. And if there is a way we can attribute that the blood came from somewhere else, we are able to attribute the blood to that somewhere else. And therefore, we do not say that a woman is impure. So the first leniency that we see when it comes to Hilchot Ketamim is the concept called Tliya. If I can assume or attribute that the blood came from another place and it's a fair logical suggestion, in that case, the woman wouldn't be impure, not Midoraita and not Midorabanan. Let's see how the Shulchan Aruch uh, rules regarding this. Um, and we'll come back to the machloket between Rashi and the Raibad uh, that's written over here. But let's just read what the Shulchan Aruch says. Dvar Torah, this is in Yoradea, Kuftzari Seif Alev. Eina insha mitama velo asura lebala ad shetargish yatzad dam mibzara. A woman is not prohibited from the Torah to her husband, um, and also in terms in 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 terms of laws of uh, uh, impurity until she has a sensation. Together with the blood. The Chachamim Gazru al Ketesher in Sabagufo of the Vigvea Shaitme Avasra Babala. But the sages made a Xaira that even if she finds a stain either on her body, on her skin, or on her clothing, she is prohibited to her husband, Afilu Lo Hirgisha, even without feeling. Any sensation. I feel about Katzmamatzatora. Even if she then goes and checks herself and she didn't find any blood, we still have to assume that she the blood came from somewhere. We assume it came from her uh, uterus and therefore she is impure. However, and she needs then to go through the whole purification process by doing a hefsek, doing a check to make sure that she's not bleeding. And then, and she has to then start the seven nekim, seven clean days, not including the day that she found the blood. Okay, 
That is the basis of the halacha of Ketamim, that we see that even though Midoraita, there was no Hagasha, and therefore she is pure, Midorabanan, she is impure. What is the reason that the sages instituted such a decree? And here we find a machloket between Rashi and the Raivet. And this machloket is very important because when we go through the different halachot of Ketamim, this argument between the Raivet and Rashi is going to come up over and over again and could be at the root of what we'll see is machlokot achronim regarding certain specific halachot in the category of Ketamim. Rashi understands that the sages decreed that a woman is impure because there was a concern that perhaps she had a sensation and for some reason didn't feel it. And therefore, theoretically, a woman could be a Nidadoraita, but since she didn't feel it, she's Midrabanan. The rabbis were concerned that maybe she didn't feel it for, you know, she didn't pay attention for whatever reason. And because of that, they made her impure uh, in general. Okay. The Ravid says it's got nothing to do with that. We don't think that perhaps, you know, a woman might have felt, didn't might have felt, they got confused in terms of the definitions of Hagasha. No. Says the Ravid, a completely different reason. In the times of the Beit HaMikdash, besides when a woman became a Nido or Zaba, there were ramifications in terms of her being able to be with her husband. There were other ramifications, and that, were, and that was that she might impurify objects that would look, had all ramifications in terms of eating truma, eating a korban, uh, coming into the Beit HaMikdash. The laws of purity are a huge topic that we don't really have today. Says Zerayved, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, and even the times of Chazal, what, what could happen is that Midoraita, a woman, didn't have a hargasha, and therefore she was permitted to a husband. However, if, she, if a blood came from her uterus onto a, uh, a garment or, 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 or um, something else that was susceptible to impurity, it could be that you had a very strange uh, halachic decision that the woman herself isn't impure, but the garment is impure. Right? And, and you have all types of, of, of strange um, concoctions of, for this, it's okay. For that, uh, for that category of halakha, it's not okay. And that was going to cause a lot of confusion. And the sages were concerned that it would also cause people to be mazalzel in the laws of purity to mantara. And because of that, they kind of standardized. And therefore, if it's going to impurify a garment, we're going to make the woman impure as well. And therefore, the gzeira of ketamim is not due to a concern that she really might be a nido or zava minatora. The concern is that we need to standardize the laws of purity and impurity. And therefore, because in certain situations, a woman is going to, the garment where the blood is, uh, falls on is going to become impure. The sage says the woman is also impure and prohibited to her husband. Now, that argument between Rashi and the Ravid is a critical argument that we're going to see it might have ramifications when we deal with all the different uh, leniencies. And there are four different leniencies that we're going to discuss today regarding the halachot of ketamim, of stains.
Okay, so let's begin the first leniency, which we already mentioned was the concept of being able to attribute the blood to come from somewhere else. If you're able to attribute the blood coming from somewhere else, we saw that that was one uh, leniency based on already Rabbi Akiva. And this is a Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Tola plot. She can attribute the blood stain to any other cause that is, call it, within the realm of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not the logical, it's, 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 it's uh, plausible. Within the realm of what is plausible, that is acceptable halakhically. Explains the Mishnah, what's considered plausible. A woman was, you know, shechting the, the animals and the chickens and cleaning the chickens and there was a lot of blood, or she was dealing with, with actual stains. Or she or she was sitting next to her friend that was dealing with blood. Or she killed a louse. All of these situations means that we know that she was in contact with blood. And now she finds a blood stain on her body or on her clothing. We assume that the blood didn't come from her. It came from somewhere else, i.e. the chicken that she was just cleaning in the kitchen, etc. And this is how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins. Since the, the decree of stains is rabbinical, we are lenient regarding them, and we can be lenient regarding all plausible um, cases where we are can attribute to another factor. For example, and the Shulchan Aruch basically just quotes exactly what we saw in the Mishnah. And then the Shulchan Aruch um, continues and says, even if she's wearing three layers of garments. Now, if she was cleaning a chicken, shech uh, the chicken, etc., and you would you would say that a plausible argument is to say that the blood, if it came from the chicken, would be on her outer garment. Says the Shulchan Aruch, no, even if there are three separate layers and the blood is found on the inner garment, we can still assume that who knows, you know, maybe the garments got turned upside down, you never know, and, and that is considered a plausible uh, factor that we can attribute that the blood didn't come from her. Now, the Shulchan Aruch says about Imnim Sa'abasara, but if it's found on her skin, enatola, then we cannot say that it came from an external uh, source, such as an animal, etc. Unless she has an injury on her body, in which case we can uh, uh, say that the blood came from the injury. If it's possible that the blood could have dropped from that area on her body to the area where it's found. Even if it was healed, if it's, uh, it could have become opened through chaffing, etc. In such a case, we can be lenient, right? Um, and even though now, basically, it's, it's got a scab, 
we, 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 we assume that it could have even become, you know, the scab could have opened up without her uh, noticing it. So we see that this is a very uh, far-reaching halakha uh, in terms of how far we can be lenient. But the truth is, it's not that practical because most of the times uh, the leniencies or the questions that rabbis get are not because of a clear from an external source. Most of the women are not dealing with chickens, etc. Um, and they find it generally on their body or inner garments. And it's very hard, halakha to be lenient. Where this topic becomes very, very practical uh, are gynecological examinations. And where there we do see that there is blood, but perhaps we can attribute the blood to what's called dam maka, an injury caused by a, a medical instrument, uh, caused by a, 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 an internal um, examination by the doctor, by the gynecologist. And there is a specific shear that we'll discuss this later on in the Masechah. So I'm going to leave it for now. But there, there is room to be used this leniency. That's where most of the halachot um, or the questions regarding gynecological examinations deal with this topic. And, and when, when we are able to be tole, to attribute the blood to an injury and we're not, we'll see later on in that shear. So let's move on to the second and more practical uh, leniency. And this is the size of the stain. Um, now, just, just to remind ourselves, if a woman sees blood with a hargasha, with a feeling, any minimal size of blood is going to make her impure. Even a pin drop of blood will make her impure. And this is important when she does an internal check with a bedika. On a, on, a, on a cloth that she does an internal check, that is considered that she had a hargasha, that she had a sensation, and therefore, even the smallest amount of uh, problematic coloring on the cloth will render a woman impure. But we are not talking about that a woman did a bedika. She found a, a stain on her, even on her undergarments, um, and that is considered a kete. And as we'll see now, the Gemara says when it comes to a stain, not a, there has to be a minimum amount of blood in order for us to make her uh, uh, impure. That was the Xer of Chazal, and we'll explain why. The Gemara Masech Nida tells as follows. We saw Hargama Achonet. If a woman killed a louse, we saw that that was one of the reasons that we could be lenient and attribute the blood to the louse. Says the Gemara, Harga in Lo It sounds like only if she physically killed the louse, then we can attribute the blood to it. But if she didn't kill a louse, if she just finds a stain, it sounds that she's in trouble. Says the Gemara, Matnitin Mani, Rafshim ben Gamliel. This is in truth the opinion of Rafshim ben Gamliel, the Tanya Harga, Tola, Lo Harga, Natola. Rafshim ben Gamliel held that only a woman who actually killed a louse can attribute blood to the louse. But the sages argue, whether she killed the louse or not, we assume that the blood is, the side, is coming from an external source over here, the louse. Rav Shimon Gamliel says, 
to my opinion, it's very problematic. There is no limit. I, a woman is always going to be impure. A woman will never be permitted to be with a husband. There were laughs, it was, uh, you know, very frequent to found laughs on the bed sheets, and therefore every bed sheet had these stains. So women would never be permitted to be with her husband. But according to the sages, it's a, you can never make a woman impure, because she'll never become impure. And nevertheless, we'll just say, oh, it's, it's you know, whether she killed the louse or whether not, no. Now we see a third opinion. The opinion of Rabbi Hanina ben Antignos is not like my opinion, which was too machmir, not like the Chachamim's opinion, which was too makel, a middle road opinion. And what did he say? Until what point can a woman attribute the blood to a louse? Add kagrish shell pole, right? The, the, the size of basically a certain type of bean. And to him, we all are agree. So basically, the size of a gris, which is a type of bean, that up to that size, we assume, even though she didn't kill a louse, we assume that the blood came from a louse. More than that size, we cannot attribute it to a louse because most louses don't carry that much blood. So therefore, it's very difficult to attribute it to a louse. So that's why we have a, a, a certain kind of middle of the road opinion. And this is what's brought down in Halakha. The Rambam says in Hilchot Yisrebiya, Perek Tet, Halakha Chavkimo, Nimsa Ketema Begada Uvesarakechad, if the stain is found on her clothing and on her uh, skin, we can attribute it uh, to anything that we are able, that we find plausible. Perhaps we can attribute it to a louse uh, that at the time that she sat, she killed a louse. And this blood comes from a louse. How much of a stain can we say this blood is not blood from the uterus, but rather an external source from a louse? Ad kagris. This is a gris. But if it is more than a gris, now we cannot assume that it came from a louse. It might be that even if it's more than a gris, we can assume that it came from somewhere else if we know about something. For example, let's say a woman has a, a, a wound on her thigh and she sees blood more than a gris. In that case, we will be able to say, okay, it came from the, it came from the wound. Right? But when we do not know of another source, we have a leniency that we say it, it comes from a louse. But that leniency is limited to a gris. More than a gris, we're going to be in trouble. And this is how the Shulchan Aruch, Paskins, Velogazru, Alaketem, and Imkenyesh, Gris, Vaod. Can I just ask? The yes. timing of this of this sighting of blood is totally relevant. If yes, when it's exactly when she's due to start the period, would that would that not be factored into the equation in any way? And vice versa, if it's a time when you would not expect it to have it. Excellent, Shiloh. Excellent, Shiloh. Um, at this stage, 
No, at this stage, the simple answer is it's not a factor. And as we'll see, um, whenever there's going to be a discussion, a machloket regarding the definition of grisim, we'll see some of the achronim take that factor into account. Okay, so, so the simple answer is no. But as soon as we're going to get into a machloket, then that factor plays a very significant role. Okay? Shkwach. So um, now, what is the size of this kris? The Ramah tells us, uh, or the, the Shulchan Aruch tells us, shir kris hu ketesha adashim. Nine lentils. What does that mean? Explains. Basically, three by three, uh, and how much is a length? Now, that extra line of the Ramah, as they are found on the on, on a, a person's body, means I don't line up 36 um, hairs uh, exactly next to each other. Rather, there's a certain amount of space that the, the, the hairs are on a, on a person's body. They, they, they're not completely uh, um, juxtaposed uh, touching. So, and this is going to cause a bit of a discussion amongst the poskim. So we, we're not going to go into it to, too much because the bottom line is how they got to their cheshbon, the tarata bayit, Ravavadia says, a stream millimeter, that basically if you're looking at a diameter of 20 millimeters. Um, the general opinion is more machmir, and that is basically 19 millimeters. Um, and if you look, I'm just going to show you the, the chart from Machon Pua. And uh, and again, it's I mean, it, it ranges between 18 millimeters and 20 millimeters. But the truth is, um, when you get to that close, very difficult to, I'm just looking for the chart. Um, here it is. This is a chart. Well, actually, it's very. It doesn't look the same on on the computer screen. Um, but this is a chart where you can see that that it can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. You know, nineteen millimeter. But but you know, when it comes on undergarments, it usually comes in a more narrow, like a, um, that kind of uh, debate. Those who have the book, the hard copy book. Um, the size we try to get do exactly as close as possible. Um, you know, obviously on the computer screen it's completely distorted, so you can't really uh, get a, get a, an idea. But they talk about. Look, I'm not American, but uh, most Americans know the size of a penny. Um, so, so in Israel it would probably be close to between a one shekel and a two shekel coin, uh, or ten agurot. Uh, those are generally the sizes that we that we're talking about. Slightly smaller than ten agarot. Those are the um, those are the sizes. So anything more than that, uh, we are in trouble. Anything less than that uh, is is basically uh, permitted. Now, and that's how the Shulchan Aruch uh, um, paskins. And uh, there's a discussion what the exact size is, as we saw the machloket uh, between the achronim. Um, but what's very important uh, is that when one gets to the Shaila, one has to ask 
uh, one should ask a rabbinic uh, authority. Um, and and there, there are different ways of doing this, but, but uh, it's very important. I've come across many, many couples that were machmir for no reason, um, and, and, and vice versa, uh, that some were makel. Uh, when they should have been when they should have been machmir. So this is very important that that young couples, especially starting out in their in their marriage, should feel comfortable to ask a shaila. Um, you know, it can be done in a tsanua way that the wife can ask the uh, the rebbetzin. Uh, in Israel, there is nishmat. They have yoetzet halachot that women feel comfortable asking them. But it is very very important that these shilas be asked because there are many intricate details of measuring the size as well as knowing what color is a problematic color. Not all stains uh, are problematic. Uh, and there might be a stain that part of it is a problematic color and part of it is not problematic color. And, and, and might be the problematic part might not be the size of a grease. So these are, are complicated and intricate shilas um, and we are I just say that it is one should. Some people are embarrassed by it. There's no reason to be embarrassed. It should be done. It can be done anonymously. I know many rabbis that uh, it's done anonymously. The woman just gives a, a phone number, leaves a, a, a phone number to to say what the, the halacha is, and uh, it's done in that way. Uh, there are many ways to 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 do this. I don't suggest that uh, um, solution for the simple reason that. Often, details of the question need to be clarified. Um, how she saw it, when she saw it, what stage of the month is she? Is she having difficulties falling pregnant? These are many many questions that need to be asked that come into the discussion and the shikulim of the halakha that cannot be uh, paskened in a vacuum. So there is a downside to it. However, it should be done in a tsanua way, it can be done through, through the rabbits and et cetera, et cetera, however people feel comfortable. Now, the Sefi Yerein says, But the, the Sefi Yerein says, look, we, we don't know what the size of the skis is. So says Yerein, look, we don't have the size of a penny, you know, the, the, the call it a, a louse, a louse or a mosquito, the blood stain is not going to be the size of a penny. So, so he says it should be smaller according to, according to, you know, what we find in our times. So based on this, um, we have to go from, from 19 millimeters to maybe five or six millimeters according to the array. Now the shine is with whether we accept the opinion of the array. And the Khatam Sofer says, no, we do not accept the opinion of the Yerem for the following reason. And this is a critical Khatam Sofer for Hilchot Nida. This is in Chelek Bet, Siman Kufpei Bet of his responsor. He says, it is correct that we still require the size of a gris, which we said approximately call it between 18 and 20 millimeter diameter. Even though we don't find lachs that give off that amount of blood. Today's lachs give off, I don't know, five or six millimeters of blood. Then 
That's what the sages decreed. And that's the only thing that we have to worry about. Even though today it's not found. Says the although we do not have, we don't find these laos. And if the whole argument is that we are attributing it to the laos and they are not found today. So the attribution, the plausible attribution seems to fall away. Says the Khatam Sofer, no. The truth is that we should have permitted a woman to be legamre uh, permitted. Says the Khatam Sofer, but since there's a Xaira, and we, not, we don't have a Sanhedrin that is great enough to nullify a previous Xaira, uh, we have to stick to the original Xaira. But less in agrees, no one ever prohibited. What is the Khatam Sofer saying? Why is it that he thinks that in theory we should have permitted a woman completely and go, done away with the laws of Katami? And this goes back to our original argument between Rashi and the Raivad. What was the reason that the sages <coughs> introduced the decree to begin with? Says the Raivad, and it's also the Ran, we'll see later on, where the Ran says a very similar thing, that the entire reason for the Xaira was connected to the laws of purity and impurity at the times of the Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, based on that argument, one could say, but we don't have the, the, the strictures of eating truma and korbanot in, in, in the state of purity because we don't have these things today. If we follow that logic, says the Khatam Sofer, the decree of Ketamim should fall away as well. Nevertheless, we cannot do away with it. So if we accept the opinion of the Raivad, we can understand the Khatam Sofer very well that really the whole din of Ketamim was for the state of din of purity, which doesn't apply today for many of the halachot. Nevertheless, it's a decree that we can't get rid of, but we don't need to be more machmir. That is a critical Khatam uh, Sofer that answers another shayla, and that is as follows. In the times of Chazal, I'm not sure how uh, tight the undergarments of women were on the skin. But today we have what we call under, underpants, right? And it's very, very skeptical to say that a louse, right, got inside the undergarments of, uh, I'm talking about in, in today's undergarments. In the, in the times of, of, of Chazal, even, even maybe 300 years ago, uh, you know, I, I think undergarments were very loose. But we have different undergarments and our undergarments are completely, you know, almost uh, 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 watertight, if you, you call it like that. So the chance of a insect uh, uh, getting in there is, is very rare and, and skeptical. To, is it a plausible argument? And the answer is based on this Khatam Sofer, yes, it is, because we see that it's not necessarily based in the real possibility as opposed to this was a decree and there's certain halachot that are pertaining to this decree and we don't need to be more machmir even if those um, halachot or even if those factors no longer apply in a uh, in reality okay so, so so based on that one could also answer the the argument of the um 
of undergarments. That a lot of people say, well, well if there was a louse, surely you would find the uh, the body of the of this uh, this louse in the undergarment. But based on what I'm saying, we don't have to worry about that. Now, Rav Rav Vosner in his Shurei a lady, he holds that one doesn't take into account the opinion of the Yerim. We have a shear called the Gris, and we don't have to be more machmer than that. He says like this: Katav sheasur laachmir v'mishat achmir pepachot migris mochin biyada. If a woman wants to be machmir on less than a gris, we say that no, she shouldn't be more machmir. Huh? Um, now, it could be that some rabbis say that you know the size is 19 millimeters, and some say that it's 18 millimeters, and some say that it's 20 millimeters. A woman wants to be machmir on the 18 millimeters. That, that we don't have a problem with, but you still go with according to the definition of a gris, less than a gris, you don't need to be machmir. Okay, so that was the second leniency that we saw, which was um, the size. So the first one is if we can attribute the, the blood uh, that came from external source, uh, and that external source could be from a wound on the body, or it could be from a uh, from an external animal. Those are possibility number one. Uh, and even and in the discussion, what happens if the wound was inside the uterus? But that we'll discuss when we get to the shear on gynecological examinations. We'll leave that. We'll leave that for now. That is a very complicated uh, um, halachic question. The second leniency we saw was anything less than a ketem, any, uh, anything less than a gris, which we said, let's just call it 19 millimeters in diameter, one does not have to be concerned about. Now we find a third leniency, and that is on what material did one find the stain? The Mishnah in Nida's uh, uh, Daftet explains as follows. Um, Sorry, it's not Daftet, it's, it's Perektet. Perektet, Mishnah Gimel. Yashvu asafsal shal evin. If ladies sat on a bed or on the projection of the stone from the, from the colonnade, Rabbi Nehemia metaher, and they found blood on the stone. Rabbi Nehemia says that this woman is pure. Shaya Rabbi Nehemia omer. Anything that is not susceptible to tuma cannot be susceptible to the decree of ketamim. Since a stone is not susceptible to tuma, it is also not susceptible to ketamim, and therefore the woman would be pure. Now, just to clarify, this is even if the amount of blood was greater than a gris. She sees a whole plate, you know, I don't know, a, 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 a little proper, uh, proper stain of 50 millimeter diameter stain on stone, on something not susceptible to tumor, says the Mishnah, she is not, uh, it's not considered a problem and she's not impure, midr even. Tosfot explains, time at the Rabbi Nehemiah, what is the logic? Since the object itself would still be tahor, 
So Chazal didn't want to create a very strange case that the object is going to be Tahor, but the woman is going to be Tamer. So let's just standardize. The Ran says almost the same thing, but it's actually completely reverse. Explains the Ran, and this is what we said before. The cave and the midoraita Since she cannot be impure from the Torah unless she had a sensation. The sages only decreed if she saw blood on something that receives, that is susceptible to Tumah. Why? Explains the Ran. The reason is. Something that is susceptible to, to impurity. Since something which is susceptible to impurity, if something would be, if a blood were to be found of it, the object would be impure. Now you have a crazy situation. A woman sits on a garment, which let's say the garment is susceptible to impurity. The laws of pure impurity tell me that the garment is now tameh, but the woman didn't have a hargasha, so the woman is tahor. So says says the Ran, the sages didn't want that confusion, and that was called chuchavetlula, that the the source of the blood came from the woman. The woman is pure, but the 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 garment that she sat on is now impure. People are going to look at that. That, that, that looks very strange. So Chazal wanted to standardize it due to the garment, not due to the woman. That's the opposite of Tosfot, right? In order not to mistakenly permit the garment. But if the garment wasn't susceptible to begin with to receive impurity, there's no reason for the sages to impurify the woman. And therefore, if the blood was on a stone or anything else that is not susceptible to impurity, there's no reason to make such exera. So this is the third leniency that only blood found on something that is susceptible to impurity can become, can make the woman impure. In general, by law of thumb, and obviously the laws of purity and impurity are very, very uh, intricate, but something that is man-made in general is makabal tumah. Something that is man-made is generally something that is makabal tumah. Something that is not man-made, such as uh, um, whatever it is, uh, stones, etc., is not makabal tumah. Something that is connected to the ground is not makabal tumah. Now, one of the where does this question find uh, halachic practical ramifications, and that is regarding two specific issues. Issue number one is toilet paper. Toilet paper, tissues. Uh, a woman goes to the bathroom, goes to the toilet after she, 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 she wipes herself, and she sees blood on the toilet paper or on the tissue. Do we say that tissues and toilet paper are a, an object that is susceptible to be macabre tumor or not? Another question where we found this is regarding uh, hygienic pads. Um, let's say a woman puts a, a, a pad uh, in her undergarments and she sees a stain on the pad. Is that, do we define this as makabal tumah or not makabal tumah? And this is, as we'll see, going to be a huge debate amongst the Poskim and Dr. Zuckerbrot. One of your question of, do we take into account 
the time of when she was meant to see the blood or not. This is going to be one of the factors that we're going to have to discuss once we have seen that there's a huge machloket achronim regarding this. So because we're running out of time, I'm just going to say the Nod of Yehuda outside. The Nod of Yehuda holds that certainly paper is makabal tumah, certainly. But I want to clarify, the Nod of Yehuda wrote his tshuva over 250 years ago. And the paper that the Nod of Yehuda is talking about is not the paper that you're going to go when you're going to Home Depot and buy your, or going to your makolet and buy toilet paper. The paper that was made 250 years ago was basically made from uh, uh, offcuts of, of cloth and, um, and uh, old clothes and, 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 and types of um, um, uh, vegetation. Today, paper is generally made from wood. So how much we can apply the status of paper based on the Nodabi Huda seems to be quite irrelevant. But let's just keep that at the back burner. At this stage, we know that the Nodabi Huda holds that paper is considered a Kabul Tumah. The Khatam Sofer argues with him. By the way, Khatam Sofer and Nodabi Huda are two critical acronym, more so in Hilchot Nida than I found in general in other areas of Halacha, where their opinions are, 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 are on almost every modern day Shaila. We have the Khatam Sofer and the, and the Nod of Yehuda, uh, often arguing or agree, sometimes agree. And here the Khatam Sofer argues with the Nod of Yehuda, and he basically says that paper, even though it might have come from a material that originally was susceptible to impurity, it's got the status of dung. What is dung? Dung, let's say, was an impure animal. It was an impure food uh, that was then eaten and digested by an animal. And then the animal uh, basically uh, extricated it, and now it's in the form of dung. We do not say that that dung is considered an avela. Says the Khatam Sofer, even though it came from an avela, it's not considered an avela. Not that a person should be eating dung, but but in terms of in terms of halachic definitions, it's not considered an avela. It's considered a dabar chadash panim chadashot baulekan. And that's how the, not a, the, the Khatam Sofer really views um, paper. And as I said, both the Nod and the Khatam Sofer were describing paper that today is hardly ever made. The, the only paper that is made in a similar vein is maybe, uh, you know, on your dollar bills. Or, uh, when they make it out of currency, they make it on very high level paper, comes from handmade paper that was made back in the, the way they, the same way they made it during the times of Nodabiyud and the Khatam Sofer. But that's not the practical today. Today, paper is made from different, uh, in different ways. And what is the din? So it says the Gemara, it says the Daikei Torah, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Mordechai Eliyahu. He says as follows, Let me list to you things that are not makabal tumah. Karka, ground, Anything that is connected to the ground, kagon, buy it, a house, a delet, a door, aslat betakisei, or the toilet, but you know, chairs and tables, that's not considered uh, connected to the ground. Now, what about paper? Niyar or pisot semer, right? And strips of cotton. But 
basically says ask a shayla. It's not black and white, you have to ask a shayla. On the other hand, Rabbi Badiel said, holds that a woman who saw blood on paper, or she she wiped herself. She went to the toilet and then she wiped herself. And then she found a stain. Tahora is pure shaniyar enora ui lechabotuma. The Rabbanu basically accepts the opinion of the Chatam Sofer. Mar'e Kohen, which is a safer halacha, basically says that it's a machloket, and he says um, one should basically ask a shaila. Rav Moshe Feinstein was Michael. Uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein uh, basically says that if she wiped herself not immediately, if, if, if there was a gap, and then only after she finished urinating, etc., she wiped herself, then basically that is considered that there was no hargasha, and it's only a problem if there is more than a gris. Now, that's a chumrah. I.e., Rav Moshe Feinstein basically tells me that, telling us that I'm lenient, but not more than a gris. If it's more than a gris, right, uh, um, then it's going to be a problem. Now, even though, even though we're talking about toilet paper, so he's saying here you, you have to combine the two. Less than uh, less than a gris, he's, he's lenient. More than a gris, he's not lenient. Um, but this is a topic that many of the Akronim have discussed, um, and and there is room to be lenient, right? Uh, even more than a gris, but really the standard psak uh, that I've come across is most possible are lenient up to a gris, up to a gris. More than a gris, uh, that would be more challenging. What about uh, pads or hygienic cloths, etc.? Now, what's the um, you know, it's it's already designated to basically be catching the blood, but, but other possible say. That really makes no difference. In the end of the day, we're going again based on the, the argument affair. That basically, this is a decree, and therefore the, the reality or the possibilities are not necessarily have to be completely in sync. It makes no difference what purpose for this pad is. And one could argue that there would be no difference between this and toilet paper. One can be more lenient. Another possible reason to be more machmir regarding a pad. So again, the first reason to be more machmir regarding a pad might be because of the purpose. Why, why, why is this designated? A second reason to be more machmir is that the pad might be considered more of a clee than, than you know, flimsy paper. Flimsy paper is, is thrown away. A pad might be considered more of a clean, more uh, in the category of Mechabal Tumah or not. Based on those two categories, let's see how the uh, poskim discuss. Rav Vadya Seth basically is lenient. He says, no difference. 
כדין רואה כתם, הדבר שלא מקבל טומאה, וכן נראה להקל, ואין כן בלינן, you don't have to be concerned about this, even if it's more than a gris, one doesn't have to be machmer according to Rabbi Ovad Yosef. Shevet HaLevi, Rabbi Ozna, is more machmer. אם הניח הצמא גפן כנגד אותו מקום מבחוץ שלו בעומק ונמצא כתם תורה, אך למעשה נראה להחמיר. So here Rav Vosna is basically saying, no, if you find a stand on a pad, although the arguments to be lean are very strong, Rav Vosna was generally more machmir. Certainly, certainly. If this was a time when a woman was expecting to say etc etc there is more room to be to be machmir as 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 you mentioned before um basically there are different uh, uh poskim according to rav uh is definitely considered a kli and therefore one has to be machmir with pads and 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 hygienic cloths um so those are basically three out of the four leniencies that we were able to discuss today. So just to summarize, in today's year, we saw that a ketem is a decree only rabbinically, obviously not all right because there's no hargasha. Secondly, there is a, uh, um, an argument between Rashi and Rai, but why is it that the Zages made such a decree? Is it because we are really concerned that she might be a needle or writer, or is this connected to the laws of Tumah and Tara? We saw that the Khatams of Ferris seem to go with the opinion of the Ribbon. And therefore, even though today it's very difficult to attribute it to a louse, Khatams of Ferris says we can still assume uh, uh, the size of a gris uh, and, be, uh, and accept that opinion of Lachalamais, and that's what we do. So that's one opinion to be lenient, the size. The second opinion is if you can attribute to other external sources. And the third opinion is if it falls on something that is not a couple of tumah. Next week, we'll continue with color. If the garment that the blood stains falls on, what color? Thank you very much to everybody. Should have a good Shavuot Tov. Uh, good to be back after the... Uh, uh, Chagim, Tamidim, Kassidram, Bezrat Hashem, we'll continue next week. Next week is the Yom Zikaron. You're, you're on okay. mute, Dr. Zikaron. I've unmuted. I've unmuted. Can you hear me now? Can you hear you? No, I'm unmuted. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry. Yeah? Yeah, Yom Zikaron next what Wednesday. What are you saying? Next Wednesday is Yom Zikaron. Will there be a share? Uh-huh. Uh, there will be a share. I don't think we should cancel okay. a share. I think we'll learn it. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh.